I want you to look with me in the book of Joel for a few minutes here this morning. It's so, uh, this is such a wonderful book. And uh, probably, I'll give you just a little bit of background here. Probably he's, he's the first or among the first two of the writing prophets, two or three. Uh, he came at just, at just a time the world needed him. I said he came, God sent him at just such a time as this. Uh, someone said, and I think they're so right, said he, he stands out as a beacon of light, a lighthouse, if you would have it, on the shores of time at a time when the world sure needed direction. And God gave Joel three little chapters. He gave Joel the actual outline for the entire Bible in three chapters. And how amazing that is. And then one of the great truths in this, they're all great truths. I'll show you the, the outline of the entire Bible in three chapters in Joel. But here he comes on the scene. Isaiah comes and, and then the uh, Ezekiel comes. Daniel, Jeremiah, of course, in there too. Oh, and these other fellows, Amos, others that followed him. But here comes Joel and he comes out and he's speaking. He's preaching truth. God has given him truth. So that in essence, as I said, you see, the rest of the Bible outlined in three little chapters in the book of Joel. Let me point that out to you to begin the message. I'm going to speak to you on is there anything God can do after it's become desolate and dead, after the insects has eaten it up, after the, uh, he, he lists locusts and palmer worms and uh, several other things that we really can't identify exactly. Locusts we well know because they're still around in the world. Is there anything God can do after everything's gone? After everything is just completely destroyed? Can He do anything about it? Well, Joel chapter 2, we'll read on in a minute, that He absolutely can. But you've got to see God at work in giving Joel what the rest of the Bible, or actually the entire outline, I think, of the Bible. It's simple, but here it is. By the way, Joel's name means Jehovah is my God. Jehovah is my God. That was the, that's what his name means. No doubt, no question about it. He knew Elijah. He knew Elisha. No doubt about that. But he, I think, is the first of the writing prophets. Let me just point out a couple of things here for you real quick. Uh, he tells him about the first advent of Christ. We'll be celebrating that here just in a couple of months, Christmas time. And in Joel chapter number 2, he says to them in verse 27, he says, Ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. He repeats what he said in verse 26, And my people shall never be ashamed. Thus uh, be ashamed. Now, this lets you know the only time or the first time that they knew that God was in their midst was when Jesus was born. That's when he came into the midst of Israel. It's when he came into the midst of this world. It's when he came into the midst of humanity. When the Lord Jesus Christ, God became flesh and dwelt among us. So right there is, your, is the first advent. There's the, we would say the bringing of Christ into this world. And Joel sees that, or is told this, 800 years 
before that happens. How amazing that is. Look down verse 28 and 29. Here is Pentecost. What happens when Christ comes into the world? He gives His life. He dies in our place. He rises again. And then, 50 days later, is the day of Pentecost. And guess who prophesied about that? Guess And you know the disciples and Mary the mother of Jesus? They were all reading this passage. I'm reading to you. They were all reading this, meditating in this, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. There, we had that at Pentecost. That's what he did. I'll pour out my Spirit. And remember, in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and he preaches in that message, and he says, this is, these men are not drunken as ye suppose. He said, this is what Joel prophesied 800 years before. So he saw, Joel tells us of the first advent of Christ. We see his, we'll see in just a moment, his salvation through him. We see the Pentecost and the day of Pentecost. And I think also a fresh anointing of the Spirit at these last days as well. Because look what he talks about in verse 30 of chapter 2. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And that's not happened yet. Will happen. See, he saw all of this was future. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, upon everyone, in everyone who's a believer. In those days, in the day that Joel was writing, in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit came and went from individuals. Uh, uh, we just heard about Daniel. Holy Spirit would come and go from mainly people of importance. Uh, I never found anywhere in the Old Testament that the Spirit, now I, th I think it, he did, it's implied that he did, but it doesn't say that the Spirit of God came upon a, a, a slave girl or a slave man or someone. It doesn't say that. I'm sure they did. I thought about uh, uh, all those that we see in the Scriptures where God moves upon just any small, insignificant person. But it doesn't say that in the Old Testament. But when you get in the New, and Joel prophesies about it, he says, hey, upon the, upon the handmaids in those days, upon my servants, upon anybody and everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit moves in them. He's the one that regenerates us. He's the one that does the work in us. The sweet Holy Ghost. He doesn't stay away from us poor old insignificant, unknown, unrighteous, unholy, ungodly sinners. Aren't you glad He doesn't? Hallelujah. He doesn't stay away from us. He comes to whosoever. Brings me to verse 32. Now, look what God gave this man. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Doesn't that sound a lot like Romans 10? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Oh, you don't have to be a king? No. A prince? No. A princess? No. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Wow. 
We've seen his first advent. We've seen the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see that salvation is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There we see that. You say, we're, that's where Paul got that. Yep, sure was, because it's the same God that told Paul, told Joel, same one. So that's where it is. Now, do you think that's all of it? No. I said he saw the rest of the Bible, saw the whole thing. Chapter 3, here's what he says. He talks about Armageddon here. I'll gather all nations. Look at verse 2. We'll bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. We'll place and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. He said, I'm going to bring all nations down. Now, that's the battle of Armageddon. We don't have all nations there today. That does line up more with Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle of Gog and Magog, what's happening today. Do we know that's it? Don't know, but it sure is similar. One thing that blessed my heart, yesterday I was doing some, a little bit of research, and uh, they were talking about the, uh, how did they say it? The appearance of celestial beings during 1973, not the Yom Kippur War, and then as late as 2016, in 1973, I, I met and talked with an IDF, Israeli Defense Force colonel. He was a pilot, and he, he said uh, he was sharing a little more about, yeah, he said, we've, we've seen things in the skies that no, no military person could have done no armies, no air force, and in 1973, just appearance of what everybody had to finally come down and say had to be angels up there. And Israel won the victory, sure enough. 2016, they had a dust storm come out of nowhere, literally nowhere, that even the Arab enemies said, they got scared because they said, had to be God in this. And that's why they, one reason they hate Israel, main reason, is because Jehovah God. They hate the church because Jehovah God. We are the church of the living God. And so, in verse 2, we see Armageddon. Down here in verse number 6, the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that ye might remove them far from their border. Now, all the way back here, 800 years before Christ came, they already had, he already saw the argument and the battles and the fighting over the borders of Israel. That's, that's what's happening today. If you don't think your Bible's current, uh, just keep reading. You'll see it. And then in verse, uh, in verse number 16, let's jump over there real quick, in 17. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake but the Lord will be the hope of the people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. There shall no strangers pass through her anymore. That's a kingdom age. Verse 16 is the Lord's return there at the battle of Armageddon where he says, hey, the uttered the voice from Jerusalem, the heavens and the earth shall shake. There's the second return of Christ, the second advent, the kingdom age. Well, you just have to look at this and say, boy, oh boy, God told Joel 800 years before Christ came 
pretty much the outline of the entire Word of God of what's happened. Now all of that is information for you and for me so that we could hang our hat on chapter 2 and verse 25. And I want you to look at that right there. I love this. Chapter 2, verse 25. He says, I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Hallelujah. The canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. God says, I'll restore to you. Now the locust had actually, there had been a plague of locusts through. There's been plagues of locusts recently through parts of Africa that ate every green herb. I mean, there wasn't a blade of grass. There wasn't a green leaf on a tree. Them things swarmed in there by the hundreds of millions and billions. And they said, actually, would darken the sky. You can read that. You can Google it and tell you, see that I'm preaching the truth. Amen. At least about the locusts. So anyway. But they saw this. Uh, he's, he's, this actually happened. These locusts came through and devastated everything. How bad was it, preacher? Well, chapter number 2 said in verse 3, a fire devoured before them. Just like a fire. You ever been in a, you ever been in a forest after the fire and see how it's just ravaged? I mean, my goodness. It's dry. It's dead. It's burnt. It's black. There's ashes. It's gray. And just horrible. He says as before them, it was, it was a land that was devoured by fire. By fire like a flame of fire. The land is as the Garden of Eden, verse 3, before them. What was the Garden of Eden? Hey man, that was life at its beginning. Everything was green. There wasn't anything dead in the Garden of Eden, not one thing. Everything was perfect in perfect order. You talk about new life and fresh life and beginning of life. That was all in the Garden of Eden. And he said when the locusts came through, though it was like that till they passed through. And then what does he say? Behind them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing shall escape them. Like a forest fire, well, like locusts, they eat everything. Nothing shall escape them. How true. That's locusts here was a literal plague. But also, the Lord tells him in this, that it was also the armies that were going to come into and take Jerusalem and take Israel. The armies were coming. And these armies from the northern in or the north, these armies would destroy just like locusts would. They'd go through and burn down. When old Nebuchadnezzar came in later on and took Babel, or, uh, from Babylon and took Jerusalem, burnt the temple, scraped the ground, literally burnt it down and scattered the ashes. The city of Jerusalem, particularly the temple. So just like he said, this army's coming. Just like he said here, these locusts will do that. And they did physically. The armies came later and did. But here's something important to note. Here's where I'm going to want you to hang your hat on. Sin has the same effect as locusts do. I read to you out of Joel 2 and 25, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Now, actual locusts, the insect, do not eat years. Oh, they don't eat years. But sin does. Sin can eat away your years. It can eat away your vitality, your youthfulness. It can eat away your mind. Just 
strike up a conversation with some of those dear ones that you run into that they're only 30, they look like they're 60. Talk to them about, you know, just normal things. And it's, sin has already eat their lunch. It's eat their youth. It's eat their vitality. It's taken away even their vision. They just don't have it. Sin does that. That's what these locusts represent. And they're so evil. Sin is so horrible. Sin is so evil because it comes from the heart of Satan himself. Satan is the originator of sin. This is family day. You're on family day. You look around at friends and family, and there's not a one here that you could look at your family and say, I hope you don't go to heaven with me. We all want them in heaven with us. We want all of our family in heaven, all of our friends in heaven. But sin is the one, Satan is the one standing between that goal and our goal for them. And locust eats up their youth, it eats up the family, can eat a family away, a family... I'm thinking of families, I've been preaching 43 years, I'm thinking of families that I pastored many, many years ago, and I had the highest hope, and they did too, for their families. And old sin, the old locust, came in and started eating away, and soon had destroyed it. And it's destroyed even up to this day. Sin will do that. Sin's no respecter. Satan just loves to destroy families. He loves to destroy uh, churches. He loves to destroy children. Take our babies right out from under us. Makes me so mad. They won't take our baby, but as they grow up, the rascal gets in there. If we don't put a guard around them and hedge them in with everything possible, he gets right in there and begins them a thinking process. If you think that I'm telling you not what's not right, Look what has happened in our education system and it's done exactly the same thing. Satan had more sense than a lot of parents have over the decades in the past thinking that, you know, he made people think, oh, it's safe, it's a good safe place. And in the day when I was in school, it was a safe place. I had a Baptist preacher that was our principal at our school, also taught, and honey, every morning we got a mini sermon. We sure did. And I was in uh, third and fourth grade under him, particularly his, his teaching, and every morning. And by the way, we all listened too. We had to listen. Because in those days, the Board of Education could be applied to the seat of learning. And before you knew it, <coughs> the seat of learning was ready to be seated, if you could, and hear from the teacher. Took care of all of that. I like what that black preacher said. I won't say all he said, but now he was preaching. Man, he was wearing it out. I heard him. He said, we got all this stuff. We got all this stuff going on. This ADD, this ADHD, a good swift kick in the A. Well, I won't finish that. <clears throat> Would take care of that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Man, I knew he'd holler Amen. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I knew I had an amen corner right over. Yeah, amen. Joel says these locusts do that. They don't respect the family. They don't respect your finances. They don't respect the church. They don't respect any organization, anything. Satan, sin, runs right in there, wipes it out and smiles as he picks his teeth after he's chewed up your family, your kids, your life, and walks off. 
And we look at that. And I have in helplessness and hopelessness at times look and say, Lord have mercy. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? What can we, what we tell these guys? And that's why I love Joel 2 and 25. I will restore to you the years that the locust is eaten. Only God, only God can do this. No way in the world that anyone could do it but God. Because what he does, he has that wonderful ability of going back in the past and forgiving the past. And then not only forgive the past, but he works in the present to bring into your life those good things that can overrule in the past. So he's the same yesterday, past, the same today, present, and the same forever. And that is my Lord. You see, he is able to do it. How does he do it? Well, there's several examples in the Bible. Look at the old prodigal son for a minute there. Jesus tells this parable. And a lot of Bible scholars that will take this parable and say it's very likely as Jesus was telling this because he was the master at parables. He was a master in the description of things and many times he would be with people, around people, standing with folks where he could point to something and, and the Sermon on the Mount, he was on the mountain. He'd be near the Sea of Galilee and, and give a parable there. Many think that there were, in, in giving this parable of the prodigal son, of course there's three, actually three messages in there, but that someone was probably very familiar with people that was prodigals. But now here, every one of us are. Maybe we are one. Maybe we've been one. We're familiar with it. These stories Jesus told. That's one. But what did he do? Here's how he works. Two really simple things. How can he do it? Well, first of all, he can take the quantity that you thought was gone forever. What do you mean quantity? Well, how are you going to restore what the locusts eat? Locusts have eaten years away. Maybe the locusts ate everything else in the farm. How are you going to restore all the quantity, all the yield off of that? Our Lord does that. He restores it like the woman at the well. Remember her? An unexpected, unexpected place to get any kind of a moving in a city and an unexpected person, this, this little gal that had had a, a horrible past and Jesus just waits at the well there for her and what she don't understand at the time is I'm getting ready to restore what the locusts eat for you, girl. You just come clean, come honest, come open. I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten for you. Finally, she realizes, she said, give me this, give me this water. And then he went on to say, I, I'm it. And boy, oh boy, her life changed. She went back to the village and told everybody, come see a man told me everything I did. All my locusts and everything, he knows every bit of it. And you know what? He's restoring it. And they, bunches of them, hundreds of them, come out of there. Now, I wondered, of all the people that she had had a past with, here she alone is reaching her whole city. The quantity God can give back 
that you thought it could not be given. That's just one example. The old prodigal is the next one, I think. There's many more there too. Uh, the beauty of it. Think about that. And here's the prodigal. I mean, no, nobody would ever think he's beautiful coming up the road out of the hog pen, emaciated and filthy and lost everything, staggering around the, on the road, just barely enough strength to get home. And as he comes and rounds the corner to come into Dad's place, he sees Dad out there. And Dad hugs him and kisses him and kisses on him even while he's talking. Dad, I don't need to be here, Lord. I don't, I don't deserve none of this, Daddy. If you'll let me just be a servant. And Dad just keeps kissing on him, kisses his words away, kisses his words away, and says, hey, get this boy, get, get the new robe, put that on him, kill the fatted calf. Let's get all this together. That's quality. So God does it in the two, the quantity, like the little gal at the well, or the quality like the old prodigal son. I'm thinking of those that I've seen in my own personal ministry. How that boy, oh boy, one guy that went in the jail with me all the time, he would go, and he was the best to have in the jail. He was the very best. Because he had been in federal prison. He got saved probably at about my age right now. Sitting in a, in a Baptist church. Family had been praying for him. Folks in the church loved him and prayed for him. But never, never make a move. This was after he got out of prison. I'll never forget it. I was there on one Wednesday night. You think, Nobody can be saved Wednesday night. Well, if you're not here, you can't. But anyway. But one Wednesday night, Gus is all I'll tell you was his first name. Gus was sitting back where about Sandra is now and just fell out on his knees. And my dear brother-in-law, Brother Charles, was sitting this pew behind him. And he got down on his knees with Gus. And old Gus just couldn't believe the Lord would save somebody that had lost so much in his life and the locust had eaten so many things. And Brother Long told him, hey, God's grace is sufficient. His grace reaches to the, to the lowest. His grace is there. Though your sins be as scarlet, read in that verse, they shall be as white as snow, they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And ladies and gentlemen, old Gus got saved and he was the best jailhouse minister that I ever was with. He knew what to tell him, he knew what to do and boy did God use him. The quality is one that God uses. So in Joel chapter number 2, let me tell you something. There's, there's many, many, many more examples. Look at Rahab, you know. But, uh, that's, that's just one. Look at Ruth, lost everything. Husband, home, and just staying with God. But with Rahab, every time, every time her name is mentioned, except once, it's, she's called Rahab the harlot. But in the lineage of Christ, there's no mention of that. It just says Rahab begat Bo, uh, uh, Bo, from Boaz. And then it goes all the way up to Jesse and or back, yeah, to David. And now, think of this. In, with Jesus in there, with Jesus in there, your name can change too. Your past is different. She's never mentioned as the harlot when she's mentioned with Jesus. 
and you're not either, nor am I. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for telling us the Lord can restore that which the locust has eaten. Hallelujah and glory be to God. You see, there is one thing. You need to know this. Chapter 2. What does the Lord expect then, preacher? Do I, do I just say, well, God says he's to restore it. That it? No, no. He's going to do it, but he expects a prayer of repentance in this. He expects it. Look at verse 12 and 13, and I'm finishing up. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. What does he expect? He just expects a prayer. He expects, he expects us to want that. You have to want this, my friend. Repentance and seeking him. And what does he do? He then does the restoration. He does the restoring. Hallelujah. He restores us. You just call on him. And in that prayer of repentance, that prayer of, oh Lord, I believe. I know what I've done. I remember talking to a man, his friend, really. He would fought in World War II. Had seen some horrible things as my dad and others. Dad never talked about it. Neither did this man. But he was in some rough, rough situations like... Uh, have some of ours right here in our church has been in through wars. Well, Mr. Pittman, flamethrower operator. Did you know the expected lifespan of a World War II flamethrower operator was 20 minutes? 20 minutes. And God brought him out. Mr. Pittman and others. This man was in such a situation. He couldn't believe that God could forgive him and be his savior. I was telling him some of the truths I've given you this morning. And he looked at me and he said, he do that for me? I said, absolutely. He'll restore what the locust has eaten. He got down on his knees. He was about 60 at this time. Got down on his knees in his kitchen. And I was there with him. We started praying. And I, I just... I just sat back on my knees and listened to him because he was, oh, Lord, I don't have to tell you everything. You already know it all. I'll tell you whatever. Lord, you know this and that. And Lord, I, this uh, Brad here said that, you, that you'd that you give forgiveness and you'd have grace. I, and, Lord, it sure would be good, Lord, if you could. Lord, if you would, if you just, thank you, Lord, you just did. And he looked over at me and he said, he did it. I said, yeah, he did. Hallelujah. He restores what the locust has eaten. Let's bow our heads in prayer for a moment, would you? There's nobody here in this church. There's nobody in your family. No friend that you have that you do not want to go to heaven with you. And there's no one here that doesn't want you to go to heaven. Now here's the important thing. On this family day, remember an old song Mama used to sing? Will that circle be broken? That family circle. A little different tune, just a little, from what Johnny 
Cash and June Carter Cash sing, but it had the same meaning. I remember hearing her sing that as a little boy, and I'd think, boy, I, I, nobody in my family that I don't want to go, even them that I don't get along with. I want them to be in heaven. I want my heart to, I want to be there myself. One of the greatest fears that I've had in my life as a Christian is the fear that I'd have family, friends, that I so want to go to heaven, and they won't. Some by just hard-headedness, refusal, but I'm not going to give up praying for them, encouraging them, I'm going to do everything possible that they know I want them in heaven. I want them there with me. Life is so brief here, I want an eternity with them there. And I know you do as well. So here's what we're going to do, a little bit different. If you want to join us in the altar, and I encourage you to do that. You've got family, friends, that you really, really, really thinking about them right now. I want them to go. Why don't we just slip out and come on down to the altar or sit here on the front here somewhere or spend some time in prayer just for them. And then, now if you're here and you've got some locusts that you thought, boy, they just eat so much, preacher. Uh, I don't know. Listen, he can take care of that. There's no problem with what God can do. It is no secret what God can do. None. He can take care of that for you. I encourage you, you come to Christ today. Don't worry about what the locust is eating. Let the Lord take care. Do His work. All you've got to do is call on Him. He expects that prayer of repentance, just calling on Him. Lord, I blew it. I know what the, I, I realize what's been eaten up, but I'm coming to you. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, on behalf of all these on the altar this morning, myself as well, we have those dear ones that we truly, truly, all of our friends, all of our acquaintances, yea, everyone around the world, but on this family day, we can't imagine heaven without them. We don't want to even think about it. But Lord, some of these, many of these think that the locusts have eaten them up. Some of us have quit praying fervently and doing what we know to do and giving up ourselves. But oh God, we don't want to do that. No, 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 no. We're going to seek you with all of our hearts and ask you, Father, to restore what the locust has eaten in their lives and let them see this. Bring them to you. Bring them close. Lord, in my life, let us not give up on individuals. Let us not just pass over it may we more than ever come to you and seek you realizing in full faith that you have all power in heaven and in earth. You can restore the quantity that's missing in their life. You can restore the quality that's missing in their life just exactly like you did Father for Rahab like you did also Father for the prodigal like you did for the woman at the well. Many others Lord we could go on and on and on of many others you just kept restoring and we thank you we praise you give you all the glory and the honor everything you do in Jesus name
tell you what, let's stand together. We're going to sing, the girl's going to lead us in it, just as I am without one way. That's a wonderful worship song right there as well. We use it for invitation, but it's so good. Such a wonderful worship. So let's sing it as they sing it with you. Here we go. Just as I so much. Thank you, Dan and Kitty and all the guys. What a blessing to have you all here. Now listen, we're going to go eat. We'll say the blessing. When you get up there, just go through the double doors and go all the way around. Lots and lots of food. You're going to really enjoy it. I guarantee it. And so stay and eat, and it's better than what you'll get over at Cheddar's. I guarantee it. And you'll like it. It'll be a great time together. So everybody stay. And if you're visiting, Take just a minute, go right back there, right across from the uh, restrooms is our visitor center, and we have a special gift for you. But if you see a guest that's standing behind you, let them in front of you. And if you happen to see a senior citizen that's way back in line, tell them to get up in the front of the line, okay? Let them, let them get on in there. Junior will save me a plate. <clears throat> Maybe, yeah. But anyway, I love you. God bless you. Father, bless the food, bless our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful presence of your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the music, every bit of it. So good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you. God bless you.